There's a real helpful way to remember where 2 Timothy is in your Bible. It is after 1 Timothy. As I felt that joke coming, I was like, no, no, this is a mistake. But I still did it. All right. Okay. It is very clear that there are two different um, imprisonments, at least two, in Rome that Paul experienced. So if you're reading at the end of Acts, if you're reading Acts 28, um, like what we were uh, reading last summer when we were in Acts, you see an imprisonment that is, is very different from the one that we see in 2 Timothy. For example, in Acts 28.30, we see that Paul is, I mean, relatively at ease. And people are able to come and visit Paul. As a matter of fact, remember, kind of the, the point of Acts is to show you that the gospel and the gospel purposes are unstoppable. Christ's continued work is unstoppable. And Acts ends in a certain way to show you that, hey, even though Paul is in in prison, technically, it's a house arrest and he has great freedoms and the gospel is spreading even here in Acts. But what we see in 2 Timothy is very different. We, we find that Paul is hard to find. Look over in uh, 2 Timothy 1, uh, 16. Onesiphorus, not onceiphorus, but Onesiphorus. I, I worked on that all week. Onesiphorus uh, was looking for Paul. He was not ashamed of his chains. And then in verse 17, when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. There was a search that Onesiphorus had to make for Paul. Paul was not easy to find, we get the suggestion. It was very difficult to find. He was cut off, it says in verse 15, from people. Or think about this, in Acts 28, verse 30 again, uh, Paul was in his own kind of rental house imprisonment. What a, what a time to be alive, right? Not only are you in prison, but you also have to pay for your room and board. Uh, but he was able to kind of have relative freedom, right? Uh, he was not apparently seen as a huge threat to the, the, the empire. But now, <clears throat> in 2 Timothy, Paul is treated as a criminal, a dangerous criminal, in fact. <clears throat> Sorry, ice skating is really rough on the throat. <laughs> Look over in 2 verse 9. Um, I endure hardship even to chains as a criminal. He is in chains as a criminal, treated as a criminal. And we even get the, the sense that he is cold. He's in a cold, dark, damp cell because in 2 Timothy 4, verse 13, he asks, he asks Timothy to come visit him and bring a cloak. You know things are bad when in a letter... You ask for a cloak. You, you really know what's on your heart and mind for what you ask for in a letter. I remember when I was in um, you know, the knockoff basic training. It wasn't really military. But still, we had to do all these hard things, difficult things. And one of those things was not eat all the time. Um, <laughs> it was very tempting in every single letter home to just say, P.S. Mom, don't forget about me. Please send some cookies. It was very tempting because that's what you were thinking about all the time because you were hungry all the time. And Paul is cold all the time. And so he includes this note about bringing a cloak. 
in Acts 28, 17 through 31, and in Colossians 4, and Philippians 1, and even in in other places, we, we see this idea that Paul is in a, in, a, in a prison sentence in which he expects to be released soon. Matter of fact, he is writing to the Colossians, he is writing to Philemon, he is writing to the Philippians, he is expecting release. But not here. Not here we see something is very different. Uh, for... 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but all who love his appearing. Paul is near death's door. You get the sense. He is close to dying. And then one more thing, one more dagger. This is a very different imprisonment. Like I said, Colossians, this is what I was talking about with those references. Colossians uh, 4, uh, Acts 28, Philippians 1. All of these uh, are suggesting that Paul is surrounded by people as well in this imprisonment in Rome. So, for example, over on Colossians 4, Paul writes this, Colossians 4. Colossians 4.10, he says, uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, and also Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions if he comes to you, welcome him, and also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers of the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proven uh, proved to be a comfort to me, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a slave of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, always striving for you in his prayers, uh, that you may stand complete and fully assured in all the will of God. Uh, and he goes on to talk about him. Then verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you greeting and also does Demas. We get this sense that Paul is surrounded by people. But when you turn to Second Timothy verse uh, chapter 4, Sorry, go back chapter 1, verse 15. You see that Paul is feeling entirely abandoned and alone, both globally and locally. Uh, 1, uh, four, uh, 15. You are aware of this, that all that are in Asia have turned away from me. Second Timothy, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 10. He says, be diligent to come to me soon, for Demas, that same guy that was a fellow worker with Paul in Colossians 4, Demas, having loved this present age, has deserted me. Then verse 11, Luke alone is with me. And then notice he says, bring, uh, pick up Mark and bring him with you. He is useful to me. There seems to be something else going on. This is not the same prison sentence. Mark's not with him. Demas has deserted him. He is alone. Everybody in the places that used to love him has now deserted him in Asia. And personally, he feels alone. This is a very different imprisonment. 
And so what we conclude here is that church history is probably accurate when they say that Paul was released from his first Roman imprisonment, went to Spain as he planned, then came back under the persecution of Nero in the, the mid to late 60s. And under that in persecution, uh, persecution, he was captured maybe in Troas of Turkey and brought to Rome where now he is in a cell, treated as a very dangerous criminal. It's a very different situation for the Apostle Paul now. He sees his end is coming soon. And what does he do with this last few moments that he feels like he has on earth? He writes to one of his most faithful co-workers that he's ever had, and that is Timothy. The, the man who will take over for him, so to speak. Uh, who's going to take over the, the mantle of church leadership. And he, and he writes to Timothy for two purposes. He writes, number one, because he earnestly wants to see Timothy one last time. He says, please come to me. We see that in 4 verse 9. But he also writes, in case he can't see Timothy one last time. He says, Timothy, come to see me one last time. And if you can't, this is what you must know. To stand firm and endure for the purpose of of the gospel. This, this is what you need to know. This is what I want to pass on to you, that you may guard what has been entrusted to you. Paul writes for Timothy to come to him soon, and Paul writes, perhaps suspicious that Timothy will not even make it there in time. Just one verse here, Two verses here, chapter 1, verse 13. Hold to the standard of sound words which you have heard from me, in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. That is what this letter is. That is Paul trying to encourage Timothy and by way encourage anyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus to endure hardship for the sake of the gospel. That's what we're going to look at right now. We need to listen to this message even right now, right? Because the reality is very clear to us, right? If you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, loneliness is going to be in your life. People are not going to like you as much. If you want to do spiritual good for others in your life, if you want to intentionally try to take leadership and do good things, seek to make disciples and pass on what you've been taught, loneliness perhaps will come your way. Your reality will possibly be like Paul's reality. 4 verse 9, Demas has deserted me. All I want is a cloak. Alexander the coppersmith in verse 14 has done me much harm. Be on guard against him yourself, right? All those who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will experience a measure of hardship in their life, a measure of loneliness in their life, and they need endurance, a strengthening from within, and a call to continue to live. So let's look at this here. How, how, do, we, how do we guard the gospel best, even us? As Christians, how do we continue to persevere in following Christ, in being unashamed of Christ, even when things get rough, when we're left alone? Here Paul passes 
on endurance in ministry. And that's what this letter is about, enduring in ministry, being unashamed of the gospel, guarding the gospel, you could say. And I want to just give you three points on how to endure. We'll look at them in these three headings. First, we're going to look at the picture of endurance. We're going to look at the need of endurance. And then we're going to look at the means of endurance. So let's just look at the picture of endurance first. Uh, The picture of endurance, admittedly, is the part of this letter that I studied the most. So in theory, it's the part of the message that I spend the longest on. So just don't panic uh, if it goes long. Uh, the picture of endurance. First off, we see in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 that Paul paints for us a picture of what it means to endure, persevere, even when you're suffering for believing and following Christ. And that picture that Paul paints is primarily of him. Pictures are worth a thousand words. To me, they're worth more than a thousand words, right? You can explain something to me, and I will say, great. You can show me how to do something, and then I will get it. Pictures are very valuable, and Paul himself is here in the first part of 2 Timothy, a picture of what enduring looks like. So here here we have a picture. This is what it looks like. This is what we should pursue. This is the picture of enduring. Notice also what he says here. He, he wants Timothy to join with him, and I would say by extension, he'd, he'd want us too in some way to join with him. In verse 8 of chapter 1, join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3, suffer hardship with me, right? Paul is a picture that we are called to follow in a way. Matter of fact, this letter is not just for Paul. This, This endurance is not just for Timothy. It's for all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus. He says this in chapter 3, verse 12, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will need a level of endurance in their life. And all who want to pursue Christ Jesus have a reward in their life as well. The same reward that Paul looks forward to in 4 verse 8, we can have as well. In the future, he says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also all who have loved his appearing, right? Oh, we are called to follow after Paul. Because there's a similar calling in our life, and there's a similar reward that we can look forward to as well. So we want to know how to endure. We want to take Paul as a personal picture to us as well. And notice what he says in in starting here, in verse 8 of chapter 1, Therefore, do not be ashamed of either the witness about our Lord or me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. That is the the basic call of this letter, right? Do not be ashamed, but join with me in suffering. Notice this is remarkable. Paul is in prison. Paul is in chains. Paul is alone. Paul is shamed in every aspect of his life, for following Christ, and yet Paul is untouched by shame at the same time, and he's calling Timothy in chains to be unashamed of Christ as well. That's remarkable. He is untouched by shame, and he says, you join with me in being untouched by shame as well. Uh, For the believer in Christ, you are called to be unashamed of Christ. 
And he, and he shows us how he does this, and this gives us a good, a good illustration of how we can do this as well, how we can be unashamed of Christ as well in our life. Let's just examine the picture of Paul. Paul is untouched by shame because of the gospel message itself. Notice what he says in verse 9. Uh, Join me in suffering for the gospel who has, or by, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has given to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. And but now has been manifested by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Notice Paul cannot get over the fact that he has been saved by God, not according to his works, but according to Christ's mercy displayed in him. He is unashamed. Why? Because his affections for Christ have been sealed. And he loves the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is not about how great he is, but about how great God's mercy has been towards him. And he is unashamed of this gospel message. It is a a message of the abolition of death. It is the message of the bringing to light. That is what this message is. It is a message that Paul is not ashamed of. It is such good news. And if you want an illustration of what Uh, being unashamed looks like. Just jump down there into verses 16 and 17 of this same chapter. Paul uses the same word to refer to the treatment he received from Onesiphorus. He often refreshed me. He was unashamed of my chains. When he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. Remember the situation that everybody was in at this point, right? Christianity was a criminal offense. If you were a Christian, you could possibly be punished to the point of death. Your family could be punished to the point of death. But this man, Onesiphorus, is unashamed of Paul. He eagerly searches for Paul. And now, as a, as a, as a response to this, Paul Praise to the Lord to grant Onesiphorus and his household, his family, mercy. Why? Because they are going to experience suffering for being unashamed of Paul and unashamed of the gospel. But what does this show you about what being unashamed is? It is saying, I, I love you more than I'm afraid of punishment, right? Uh, Onesiphorus had greater love for Paul than he had shame for Paul. Let me ask you a question. Could you go without the gospel in your life? Would you be fine with going without the gospel in your life? It tells you a lot about how you think about the gospel when you think about that. Could I live without the gospel? Would I be fine? If, if the gospel wasn't true, would I, would I be okay in life? Right? The Christian has had this remarkable thing happen to them. They have believed the truth of God. That they, while they were enemies, have been, have been brought close by the, the sacrificial, substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. They have this remarkable thing in their heart and in their life. Their affections have changed. Where they have great love for God and great affection for the truths of the gospel. And that leads them to live a life that's unashamed. I am unashamed 
Paul says. I am not touched by shame because of the gospel message itself. But notice also Paul is untouched by shame because of the God who has called him to preach the gospel itself. Paul has a trust in God. He is convinced God's purposes are unstoppable. He's convinced, even if I'm in if I, even if I'm in chains right now, it's not really that I'm just in chains. I am the Lord's prisoner. He is convinced that whatever has happened to him is according to the will and desire and purposes of God. And Paul completely trusts his God. Paul can say throughout his entire life, God has been faithful and I trust him now. Therefore, I am unashamed of anything in my life that happens because I know Christ. That's a, that's a good reminder that's a good reminder for us. Notice, notice what Paul says in verse 12. For this reason I also suffer the things, these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul trusts God. That's why he's unashamed. Now notice there, he, he kind of changes the metaphor often in the pastoral letters Uh, Paul is talking about how he has been entrusted with the gospel. Or he is telling Timothy, like he says in verse 14, you have been entrusted with the gospel, guard it. But notice here, he changes the picture a little bit, and you see this, particularly if you have an LSB. He doesn't say that I am to guard what God has entrusted to me. He says, I am convinced that he, that is God, is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. Notice, Paul has unashamedness in his life because he believes that God is able to keep him going and preserve him all the way to the end. Even if death comes, God will be faithful to him. Therefore, Paul is not ashamed of God. And the gospel of God that has brought Paul to peace with God. He also now can guard the gospel because God is, you could say, guarding him, keeping him faithful to bring him all the way to the end. And of course, this brings us to one more picture that we need to see from Paul. Paul is untouched by shame because of the God who is inside of him. Notice verse 8 starts with a therefore, and this explains, this is, this is, this is giving, giving kind of an exhortation based on what he has just said. His unashamed posture is a consequence of a spiritual quality that is inside of him. Uh, Therefore, because we are this way, therefore be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the spiritual quality that Paul enjoys? It is God inside of him calming his life. Notice what he says to Timothy in 1 verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Notice there, uh, verse 7, God has not given us. This is a quality of life that every believer enjoys in their spirit. Notice LSB is is right to say spirit lowercase. This isn't just God's spirit inside of you, but this is actually your spirit transformed by the presence of God's spirit. Notice this is something that's given to you. It's a gift of God in verse 6. In verse 7, God has given you something. This is not a natural spirit to you, but this is a spirit that's transformed through the presence of God's spirit in your life. And what is the quality? 
quality of life you enjoy, because the Spirit of God is in your life, your life is not gripped by fear or timidity, but you have in your spirit power, love, and self-discipline. What a, what a glorious thing. What a glorious thing that we have through the Spirit in our spirit. Because God's Spirit is in us, our spirit can be able to do things. Our spirit can love unconditionally. Our spirit can be self-controlled in our life. And once again, this leads Paul to say, therefore, because we have a transformed spirit by God's spirit, we need to be unashamed. I am unashamed. I am not touched by shame in my life because my spirit has been put at peace by God. I am willing to suffer. And notice what he says, according to the power of God in verse 8. You can live a life boldly for Christ Jesus, untouched by shame, by relying on, by walking in faith, by living according to the power given to you through the Holy Spirit, and your spirit is transformed as well. The Christian is never also disconnected from Christ the, the, the Christian is never outside of the context of Christ, regardless of where the Christian is at. The Christian is a prisoner of Christ. The Christian can do all things, including do good things and power, love, have self-discipline, because they are Christ's prisoner and not anyone else's prisoner, ultimately. This is the reason why Paul has no shame, because he has been given a spirit that is unashamed. And because the gospel is so sweet. And because God is so good, God is so faithful, therefore Paul has no shame. And Paul actually will add on a few pictures of endurance. We'll just slip through them really quick. In chapter 2, verse verse, uh, 3, he says, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. A helpful picture of endurance here. What is a soldier? A soldier is someone who is trying to please only one person. A soldier, verse 4, doesn't entangle himself with um, any other activities, the affairs of everyday life, but he has one aim, and that is to please the one that is enlisting him. You could say it right here. The, the reason why a soldier endures is the same reason you should endure, and you should say in your heart and in your mind, there is only one person that I ultimately first and foremost want to please, and that is Christ himself, just like a soldier. And then in verse 5 of chapter 2, also an athlete is a picture of endurance. He is crowned because he can according to the rules back then when they had olympic games they had all sorts of rules and if you broke one rule you were out and this is similar to how a believer endures as well right godliness is more important than giftedness godliness is so important that is that is why you endure you don't just you don't just endure to please christ but you endure to please christ the way that he would find pleasing and then also there's a picture of a farmer a farmer also endures right he labors hard knowing that he will receive a share in the crops you you believe you endure not just because you want to please christ Not just because you want to please Christ the way he'll be pleased, but also because you know that nothing that you do and no endurance that you give will go unnoticed in this life. These are all pictures of endurance, difficulty. These are all people with ability that have self-control to pursue delayed gratification. This is someone who endures. This is a picture that we see in Paul, someone who is untouched by shame. 
and has great rewards and expectancies in the future. Let's turn to a, another uh, passing on of endurance that Paul gives us here in the, the, the second letter to Timothy. He also points out the need of endurance. And this brings you to chapter 2, verse 14, all the way to 3, verse 9. He suggests the need of endurance. Now here it's a little bit interesting. And this is where you get the picture, the, the, the kind of sense that Paul is not just writing not just writing about the current crisis in hand, but he is passing on the mantle of leadership in case he never gets to see Timothy again, because now he starts talking about false doctrine and false teaching. And there's one thing I know about persecution. It seems to weed out uh, false teaching pretty easily, because those people who believe the truth stay close to Christ, and those people that hold to false doctrine uh, kind of peel out your godliness or, or what you believe will be shown up, uh, will show up in your life. And you can say it like that. But for uh, chapter 2, verse 14, all the way through 3, verse 9, we see the need of endurance. And it's basically the sense that, hey, hard times are going to come because false teaching is going to arise. Dangerous doctrine is going to come up. And why should, why, why should we, why should we, why should we seek endurance? Why should we see theological error as dangerous? Well, Paul gives you a few reasons here. Number one, theological error does not promote godliness. It doesn't promote godliness at all. It's useless. It's empty. There's only one thing in your life that promotes godliness, and that is the truth of Scripture. Notice what he says in 3 verse 16. All Scripture is breathed by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, false teaching keeps you from godliness. As a matter of fact, it's worse than that. False teaching, Paul will say in 2 Timothy 2, actually leads you to ungodliness. Look what he says in verse 14. Uh, this is useless and leads to the ruin of its hearers. Verse 16, avoid godless and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Or notice what he says all the way down at the end of chapter 3, right after the list of all the evils that are coming soon in the end times. They will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as theirs was also. Notice, false teaching will promote ungodliness in your life. And that's why you should hold fast. That's why you should endure, because, because false teaching will show up in your life. That's why he need, has need of endurance. Uh, false teaching is sneaky. False teaching is enticing. False teaching is everywhere. Notice what he says in 3 verse 1. In the last days, difficult times will come. You should endure because of the reality that false teaching is coming. And it will be enticing, right? Uh, people in chapter 4 verse 3, they, they find false teaching. Why do people find false teaching? Why does false teaching flourish? Because people have sin in their life that they don't want to deal with, and so they find someone that tells them, you're okay. That's what false teaching does. It's just people trying to justify their sin. False te teaching is sneaky, it's enticing, it's everywhere, it will be productive, you'll see its fruits often in life. That's why it is good to say, you know what, godliness is more important than giftedness, right? We've got a lot of preachers out there in the world that are really good at speaking, but godliness ultimately is the greatest qualification of ministry. There's a lot more qualities about a minister than just being able to speak well. Does he live well? Is he self-controlled? 
There is a need for endurance, and that primarily is a need of godliness. What are the qualities of the person that guards that's so needed? Well, it's someone that knows the truth. You see that in verse 15 of chapter 2. Uh, be diligent to represent yourself to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. This man doesn't twist and turn with the sins of people to help them feel accepted. No, he cuts the word of God straight. But also, there's, there's this other aspect, right? How do you guard the gospel? You guard it by your own life, by godliness. That's also what he says in 2.22. Flee from useful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who, are, who call on the Lord from a pure heart. There is a need for endurance because godliness, ungodliness is everywhere. Let's look at the final kind of passing on of exhortation. There we go. We got it. Five minutes. We can do this. The final exhortation, kind of you could say. And then Paul explains the means of endurance. Now, if you are like me, this should be very encouraging to you. I've seen a picture of enduring. I've seen the need of enduring. But how do I endure? What has God given me to endure? How can I be chapter 2, verse 22? How can I be chapter 1, verse 8? Unashamed, untouched by shame in my life. What are the means God gives me to be unashamed of Christ Jesus, regardless of my circumstances? Paul says it. Paul says it. And then notice, Paul writes it. Chapter Chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, all the way through 4, verse 8, Paul says three, three basic things to Timothy. Chapter uh, 3, verse 10, he says, but you. Chapter 3, verse 14, he says, but you. And chapter 4, verse 5, he says, but you. What? That's not different. Notice, uh, Paul says, you, Timothy, are to live in contrast to all of this. You are to endure by contrast. How are you to endure? Number one, verse 10, but you are to follow. Follow my example. That beautiful picture of endurance that we have in Paul and in godly leaders, we are to follow their example. Follow my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance. Right? We need pictures. That's how you endure. You get good men and women in front of you that have gone on a long, longer time than you, and you follow their lifestyle. That's how you learn to endure. You get good pictures in your life. But then you see in chapter 3, verse 14, you also continue in the things that you have learned and have become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And then notice what he talks about here. He talks about how from childhood, Timothy has been acquainted with the sacred scriptures that are able to make one, verse 15, wise unto salvation. And then he says 16 and 17, which I've already read, scripture is able to bring you all the way is to sanctify you completely. Scripture is able, as an, an effective tool for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I've, I've often explained it this way, and I love this picture, and I get this from Dr. John Street, right? Uh, scripture is beneficial for teaching you how you should live. 
Scripture is also beneficial when you're, when you're walking on the path of life and going straight, and then you turn off the path and go off course into sin. T, uh, scripture is also profitable for reproof, saying, hey, you're off the path where you should be going. You should have been going this way, and now you're going off the path. But then Scripture is also profitable for correction. It also tells you how you should get back on the path. It's not just telling you you're off the path. It's telling you how to get back for correction. And then Scripture is also profitable then for training you in righteousness, strengthening you in how you walk on the path so that you can walk better, so that you stumble less. Scripture is everything you need. When you are alone, when you are like Timothy and your mentor in the faith, Paul is gone from this life, you can continue on in godliness and the fear of the Lord because the Word of God is with you. And it teaches you the way you should go. And then lastly, 4 verse 5, fulfill your ministry. Just do it. Complete it. Be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist, right? How do you, how do you grow in endurance? You continue on. You keep going. You listen to Scripture's reproof, and you continue to do what Scripture calls you to do. And notice how he describes guarding the gospel here in verse 5. Guarding the gospel means you're sober about the way you think. Guard the gospel in your life. Guard the way you think. Notice also what he says. It means you endure hardship. It means you don't give up on the gospel when it gets tough to follow the gospel. Notice also what he says in verse 5. Do the work of an evangelist. Here's an interesting thought. The best way to, to, to guard the gospel is not just to keep it safe and never talk about it, but to share it. The best way to defend the gospel is to accurately repeat it to others. To pursue evangelism. That is how you guard the gospel. Fulfill your ministry. You guard it by passing it on. You guard it by being changed by it. And that is the secret of pursuing it. Uh, That is the secret of endurance. That is the secret of strength in the Christian life. You guard the gospel actively, persistently. So, 4, 9 through 15 is the reality of the Christian life often. Desertion by friends, difficulty in experience, enmity by enemies. But notice, Paul is never really totally living according to his you know, physical context. Hey, that's his physical situation. But Paul lives in a spiritual situation. Paul lives as Christ's prisoner, even though he is imprisoned by Nero. Notice what he says in verse 16. Regardless of my situation, he says this, At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the preaching might be fulfilled, and that all the Gentiles might hear And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will save me unto his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice that. Notice what Paul's hope is. Paul uh, Paul has an enduring boldness in the Christian life because he trusts in his God to bring him all the way to the end. Not because he trusts in his God to bring him all the good things in this life or keep him from dying. No, my God will bring me all the way through the end. And I love it, it's sweet, right? Verse 16, this boldness in God, this 
context that's outside of his physical context actually leads him to softness and gentleness towards his opponents. All in Asia have deserted him. Maybe, perhaps, these were, these were significant figures in Asia who could have come to his defense and said, hey, Paul's not a criminal. But they deserted him, and Paul, in prayer, says, may it not be counted against them. May they be brought to the truth. That is the, the ministry of the one that endures, and that is, there's lessons in there for, for us, too, as we seek to endure in the Christian life. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this morning, and we pray that you would bless it and help us to grow through it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.